This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill. I'm with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hello, Professor Gershon. How are you today? I'm doing great, Liz. Good morning. And I want to wish everyone who is celebrating a new year, uh, the start of the year 5780. Hard to believe it's already 5780. Shana Tobai, Happy New Year. It was Uh, just uh, 5778 just two years ago. Right. It seems like it just passed quickly. But, you know, it's, it's relevant to our topic today because um, certainly my family were immigrants uh, to this country uh, and uh, have benefited from its protections. And, and we're really, really fortunate to have Patricia Ice with us today. She's the attorney director of the uh, Mississippi Immigrants Rights Alliance, and they're doing great work in our state and great work for people who are in a difficult circumstance and, and want to welcome her to the show. Thank you. We are very glad to have Patricia Ice with us from uh, Mississippi Immigrants Rights Alliance. And yes, I would assume, you know, what's the math? 99.5% of us uh, do have uh, immigrant ancestry. I would think so. I mean, you know, it, uh, unless people are Native Americans or come from Native Americans, that, that's more than likely true. And, uh, you know, we're just uh, very happy to have Patricia on the show with us today. And I know she's doing great work. She's worked with our uh, MacArthur Justice Clinic uh, on some of the issues that have recently happened in our state. And so welcome. And uh, would you please tell us a little bit about uh, the Mississippi Immigrants' Rights Alliance and and your work on behalf of immigrants? Yes. Um, The Mississippi Immigrants' Rights Alliance was founded in 2000. And I became a volunteer with it in 2001. And what we do is we educate the community about immigrants' rights issues, and we also provide legal services, uh, direct legal services to immigrants and their families. So what types of legal services would you would you provide with uh, MIRA provide? Well, the Mira Legal Project helps immigrants and their families with applications and petitions that are submitted to the United States government in order to get temporary status in the United States, permanent resident status, and or naturalization. And we also help people with uh, renewing their green cards, with temporary protected status, with um, special immigrant juvenile status, and other types of cases. Currently, we are not helping people directly with removal cases in the immigration courts. And that's because the immigration courts are in New Orleans and in Memphis. And it has become very, very difficult for us to make those hearings. And so what we do are administrative, affirmative administrative cases. That's what we would call it. So people come into the office 
and they I, I help them actually fill out their applications. We also help United States citizens bring fiancés to the United States. So we have different forms and different form numbers, and we fill out the papers for them. We submit the papers to the government, and we track the progress of the applications and petitions. And I do also go to New Orleans for administrative hearings. Um, These are hearings that are not in the immigration courts. For example, yesterday I appeared at United States Citizenship and Information Services in New Orleans, where I assisted a couple in their hearing for um, permanent residence for the husband. All right. Well, and we already have one call that we're going to go to. Let's go to Florence, and Roger has called in. Roger, thanks for calling into In Legal Terms today. Go ahead. Well, I'm driving hands-free, thank goodness, and I want to compliment Patricia. She's the expert. Been at this a long time, and I remember when I was on the bench, every now and then we'd get something would come up that had to do with uh, status or rights of, a, of an immigrant or an illegal immigrant. So, But those days, it's gotten much more complicated now because of the, the multitude. So here's my, my question, for mainly for Patricia, but for the dean or whatever, whoever else can answer. What can a person who is compassionate, perhaps Christian, but just a compassionate, big-hearted person who wants to be kind and help people who are in trouble, what can that person do, and what should they not do in order to not themselves do something illegal to help the circumstances of an illegal alien or their children? Is that a clear question? I believe so, yes. Uh, first of all, I would like to say that we use the term undocumented or unauthorized immigrant. Rather I don't than, like that term. I have to confess that I don't like that term, but it is better because it describes things that may or may not be illegal, and it's just a matter of documentation. I understand that, but I think that every now and then you ought to use illegal. But I'm going to hush and listen. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Um, I want to say something else about that term. Uh, for example, most of us have gotten tickets while driving. Um, I certainly have for uh, speeding and a few other things in my younger days. And what I did was illegal. I drove above the speed limit. Um, But that doesn't make me an illegal person. That just makes my acts illegal. So that's how we view um, undocumented immigrants. Um, When you call somebody illegal, it criminalizes them before you can even get to their the merits of their life and the merits of their cases. So that's one reason why we prefer to call them undocumented as opposed to un as opposed to unauthorized. And I do want to say something too about um, what Professor Gershon said at the beginning when he said that ninety nine percent of us came from um, immigrant families. And I just want to remind people that I, as an African-American, 
um, my ancestors came as forced immigrants here. And I think that we always have to keep that in mind. But going back to your question, um, I think that what people can do to help, and this is really, really important, people and or Mississippi residents can contact their Congress people. This is something that is really, really easy. You just call your House representative and you call your U.S. senators and you talk to them. But you call them on a regular basis and let them know that you are interested in helping immigrants. Um, That is something that people often forget. I remember a while ago before um, Senator Edward Kennedy passed away, we had a phone call with him. We at Mira and some other people around the country. And I didn't know that he was really going to be on the phone. I had heard that we were having this meeting. And one thing he told us was that there are more people who do not support immigrants who call their congressmen to complain. And he said that we really had to step up our calls, our letters, etc., to our congresspeople to make sure that they hear from our side, the side that wants to help immigrants. So that's a simple thing that you can do, and you will not get into any trouble. All right. Yeah, I think a lot of us are quick to complain, but we also need to be uh, quick with the the compliments and the the, the praises. All right. We're going to continue our discussion of family and humanitarian related immigration laws after our break. If you have a question about these laws, please call us 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-672. 7464. You can also send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. In legal terms on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. Now, not everyone has a chance to listen to our whole show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the show at inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. This morning, we're talking about family and humanitarian-related immigration laws with our guest, Patricia Ice, who's the Legal Project Director at Mississippi Immigrants' Rights Alliance. 
And Patricia, this is this is a great conversation, and I appreciate your answer to uh, the judge. Uh, you know, Roger uh, is a frequent caller, and, and we appreciate him listening. Um, but your website actually says that you uh, do not call uh, immigrants of any kind illegal. We don't have illegal people, and, and I really like that answer a lot. So how, do, how does MIRA work with the federal and state governments? You mentioned uh, how we can uh, call our, our people in Congress, but... How does, how does the organization work with the federal and state governments to advocate for immigration, immigration rights? Well, every year we have a civic engagement day at the state legislature um, during the legislative session. And we usually take a group of undocumented immigrants as well as documented immigrants and others who are interested in immigrants' rights. And on that day, we... Uh, visit the different uh, legislators, um, state legislators, in whose district we live, um, and we talk to them about what they can do to um, help with immigrants' rights. Um, Normally, immigrants' rights, or excuse me, immigrant issues should be Um, implemented and enforced by the federal government. But in the last 20 years, we have seen state governments try to implement um, immigration laws. And some of them have succeeded in uh, implementing these laws. Um, For example, we have the 2008 uh, Mississippi Employment Protection Act that went into effect. And that um, says that all employers must e-verify, and that means electronically verify each employee, each hire that they get. And they have to go through the USCIS uh, e-verify system, look up that person, and make sure that that person is authorized to work in the United States. Now, the e-verify program is a federal program, but it is not mandatory everywhere. It started out as a pilot program in some states, and then some states, such as Mississippi, decided to implement the program here. So um, Mira fought against that uh, that law um, so that we could, you know, so that we could help immigrants and help companies because many of the companies that were affected by this law did not want to do the e-verify. They did not have enough employees to do it and were against it. But in the end, it did pass, um, but without enforcement provisions. Another thing that we do is we work with um, state legislators to promote bills that advocate for immigrants or that that uh, support immigrants, such as in-state tuition. Um, currently in Mississippi, at least at the community college level, uh, students who have deferred action for childhood arrivals or who have or who are undocumented and are dreamers and don't necessarily have DACA are required to pay out-of-state tuition in order to go to our community colleges. 
um, and those are our state supported community colleges. So we have had legislators um, it, present bills so that those students can get in-state tuition. We have also had legislators uh, uh, present bills for driver's licenses for undocumented people. Um, so though <clears throat> at the state level, those are some ways that we have advocated on behalf of immigrants' rights. I am a member of the American Immigration Lawyers Association, which is the largest immigration law bar in the country. We have about 16,000 members. And so every year, as a representative of MIRA, I go to Washington, D.C., and I talk to all of our senators and all of our um, House members. We have six of those. So I went earlier this year in April um, to Washington and talked with at least a staff member of each of those six offices. And sometimes we see them here in Mississippi at their local offices. Um, we, at, at our uh, National Day of Action in Washington, we also meet with other people who are not our uh, representatives, but we have meetings with them and we talk to them about how they can legislate to advocate on behalf of, of immigrants' rights. We are so pleased to have attorney Patricia Ice with us this morning on In Legal Terms. She's the legal project director at Mississippi Immigrants' Rights Alliance. If you were learning all about uh, humanitarian and family-related immigration laws, if you have a question, we would love for you to be a part of our show. Our number is one 877 MPB ring. That's 1-877-672-7464. You could also send us an email if you like. The address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. You know, this it's not just an email, but we got a tweet last night um, from Blake Feldman, who is uh, a lawyer who has been worked with the ACLU, but now is with uh, Southern Poverty Law Center. And uh, he wanted to make sure I, we asked this question. So, Patricia, when does the U.S. Constitution protect uh, immigrants uh, to this country? Is it, do they have to be citizens or residents to, to be protected by the Constitution? Well, if you are in the United States, for the most part, you are protected by the U.S. Constitution. So that would be my general answer to that. But if you are not a United States citizen and you are here without authorization, you can be deported uh, from the United States. But that person would be entitled to some protections of the Constitution, due process, and uh, they couldn't have their property taken away from them, for example, uh, without due process. That is true. And we try to give those people due process through the immigration court system. And That's yes, like anyone else, they can't have their property taken away from them uh, without due process. You are correct. Well, that, that's an, I think it's an important point because I think a lot of people don't realize that the Constitution actually protects people um, who are in this country however they got here. 
Yes, and we also have a process for people to um, fight their cases and try to stay here through the immigration courts that we have that are administrative courts. Um, and people can go to those courts to plead their cases. They can have attorneys, but unfortunately, they have to pay for the attorneys. Unlike our criminal system here in the United States, um, an immigrant is not allowed to have an attorney paid for by the government unless they are in criminal proceedings, but they are not um, allowed to have a free lawyer in the immigration court system. Well, we've got an email. I think this is on the heels of talking about the E-Verify system. This individual says, I recognize that this may be outside the scope of today's conversation, but why do we seldom, if ever, hear about employers of undocumented immigrants suffering legal consequences in the wake of the ICE raids? It doesn't seem like they're held legally culpable. And I would agree with the with the um, tweeter yeah. on that uh, issue. And we often ask the same question. Why aren't the employers held accountable? Since in this state, anyway, they are supposed to be using the, the um, E-Verify system. And it is up to them to determine whether a person is authorized to work here. Um, we often complain about that uh, because it is usually the employees that are the ones that suffer and not the employers. Um, for example, during the 2008 raids at Howard Industries in Laurel, Mississippi, there were 592 immigrants that were arrested in that raid. Some of you may remember, and some of you may not. Well, Mira was involved in the raid response for that. And there was one person that we know of that was indicted from Howard Industries. And that person worked in human resources, and that person was a Latino. Um, I believe that in the end he pled guilty. Uh, later, I did read that Howard Industries was fined, um, but I think that occurred you know, way later than the, um, or way after the uh, raid happened in 2008. So uh, we would like to see the government hold the employers more accountable in these cases and not hold the immigrants accountable as much as they do, because let's face it, the immigrants are there to work. They've come here to the United States for various reasons, uh, to seek a better life for themselves and for their children. And I always say to people, immigrants want the same things that we want. Um, and people in other countries want those things. We all need love. We all need shelter. We need food. We want good health and good education for our children. I've traveled in and lived in several other countries. Um, I've, I was a Peace Corps volunteer in uh, Benin, West Africa. Um, I worked in Honduras as an English teacher 
through the United States Information Agency English Teaching Fellow Program. I've also worked in a refugee camp in the Philippines, and I was in Haiti um, for a month to help teach English. Um, unfortunately, we I had to leave Haiti because there was a coup d'etat. But in my travels and in working with immigrants here in the United States and with working pe- with people outside of the United States, we all want the same types of things um, in life. We may go about getting them in a different way. So... All right. Well, we have a call we're going to get to. We thank you from Clinton Truman. Thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms today. You're on the air. Go ahead. Oh, uh, hi, Patricia. Thank you for the work that you do. Uh, I had a question about the uh, the reasons that uh, uh, many people are migrating. It seems that uh, many are uh, here because the uh, U.S. drug demand uh, gives, gives cartels more money than the governments there have to combat them, but also uh, climate change as a result of our carbon has uh, rendered uh, much of the arable land there uh, uh, subject to drought, and uh, they're not capable. So I guess in that sense, they'd be refugees as well. Uh, how, just how prevalent is the, uh, uh, is the status of people uh, coming here as, as, uh, as refugees uh, you know, r- rather than uh, just leaving a, a, a unsatisfactory economic situation? Uh, that's all. Well, thanks, Truman, for that uh, question. I think that uh, some of the reasons that you gave are um, accurate reasons why people come here. But they also come here because they are uh, abused in their countries, because there is political upheaval in the countries. Uh, because there are famines in the countries, um, etc. For example, uh, the North American Free Trade Agreement of 1994 made it very difficult for corn farmers in Mexico. And that's when we saw a huge increase in Mexicans coming across the border without authorization. Um, the corn farmers were put out of business. Um, we, the United States, was was uh, more easily able to export corn, and so we saw a huge rise in people coming at that time. And speaking of Mexico, we have a preference quota immigration system here in the United States, and so the people who try to come. Uh, legally to the United States often have very long waiting periods. Um, Mexico, citizens of Mexico are an example of that. Uh, Sometimes it takes 20 years from the time that a person files a petition for alien relative, for their relative in Mexico. And um, people get tired of waiting. Uh, Nobody wants to wait for 20 years to come here. And so if the uh, Mexican um, is living in Mexico, he or she can come over to the United States 
easily because we border on each other. Um, we have others in the Philippines who have to wait up to about 23 years to come to the United States. And I think a lot of people don't realize that because they ask, why don't people come the proper way? And a lot of people, most people, are coming the, quote, proper way. But the waiting periods are so long, and so they decide to come earlier a lot of times. All right. We are talking with Project Director of Mississippi Immigrants' Rights Alliance Attorney Patricia Rice about family and humanitarian-related immigration laws. When we come back from the break, we hope that you'll give us a call. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-672. 7464 with your questions about the laws. You can also send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert, and we hope that you will subscribe to the podcast for our show. Now, there's many different podcasting platforms, and a podcast is just (coughs) audio that you can listen to anytime. It's stored out there in the cloud. So with our show, if you've missed it, you can pull up your machine and just pull it down from the cloud and listen to it. You put it on your phone. I took a plus. I type in the name of the podcast show that I want to listen to. Then um, it'll pull up in legal terms. You can click on the photo. And then if you'd like, you can subscribe so that you know when new episodes are loaded up. This morning, we're talking about family and humanitarian related immigration laws with our guest, Patricia Ice, Legal Project Director at Mississippi Immigrants Rights Alliance. And we uh, apparently, we, I'm sorry, we must have uh, gotten Roger off a little bit early. Roger, did you have something to add to, to your, your previous call? Go ahead. Uh, oh, you, Roger, you said, did you say you I'm, think I'm we should have, uh, you should, you think we should have open borders? Absolutely not. I was talking oh. to myself. Oh, I'm I sorry. Apologize. You sure got the right experts there, and I, I thank you for that. And I told the uh, call screener not to put me ahead of anybody because I've already spoken once. I don't think that, Patricia, in due respect, I don't think you answered my question. I want to know, as a compassionate person, what can I do legally and what can I not do legally to help somebody who simply needs help? But they are here, I would say illegally, and you would say undocumented. 
what can we do? And you can answer that, I think. And my other point is that most citizens of this country don't realize, don't think about the fact that the more undocumented or illegal people we have in a given state at the time of the census, then the more representatives that that state is going to have in the U.S. Congress. Because people are counted, whether they're here legally, illegally, documented, undocumented, they're counted. And so this matters in a huge sense, ultimately, in the U.S. Congress. But today I'm more concerned about what can I do for for this person that I want to help without putting myself uh, in an illegal status. Okay, thanks, Roger. Okay, first of all, I'd like to address what you said about the census, because that is something that Mira helps with every year. We're one of the census partners here, and we are trying to make sure that all immigrants are counted uh, through the 2020 census. And we have attended meetings with um, Southern Echo, who is one of the the, uh, main census partners here in Jackson, as well as Um, We have attended a meeting in Atlanta regarding the census. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, Going back to your question of what you can help do, um, you can give direct aid to um, immigrants. You can help them with their uh, living expenses. Another thing that you can do is when a person does apply for Uh, permanent residence, that person, if he is being petitioned for by a family member, um, needs a sponsor and a, a financial sponsor. And the primary financial sponsor has to be the petitioning relative. But sometimes the petitioning relative doesn't make enough money to immigrate that family member. There is a document called Poverty Guidelines um, that you can look up online. Um, So if that person needs a joint sponsor, you could help with that. Um, If you make enough money under the Poverty Guidelines, which I think you probably do, um, you can help people in that respect. Um, You can also help people pay for their immigration lawyer um, if, if, um, you know, if that person is trying to get temporary or permanent status here. Um, Some immigration lawyer fees are very expensive. Uh, We do charge fees at the Mississippi Immigrants' Rights Alliance. Uh, We believe that those fees are usually lower than um, private for-profit attorneys because we're a nonprofit agency. Um, Sometimes people cannot pay for their legal fees. They can't even pay for some of the lower fees that we charge. Um, And sometimes we can provide those fees or those, uh, sometimes we can provide that 
uh, legal representation free in certain situations. But you can certainly help with that. Um, Sometimes immigrants go and live with uh, U.S. citizens. Um, You could provide housing to uh, people like that. One thing that you cannot do legally is to encourage somebody to come to the United States illegally. Um, That is a crime. Um, But most things you can do uh, to help undocumented people here. There aren't that many things that you cannot do. All right, Roger, I hope that uh, helped answer your call. I'm going to ask our call screener to keep you and put you on hold because I have uh, some personal information you might be interested in. But next, let's go to Jackson. We have a call. Oh, I'm sorry. That was my mistake, Roger. Um, We have a call from Jackson. It's Rims. Uh, Rims, go ahead. You're on the air. Yes, uh, my concern is that if an undocumented person is working on a job, the company is taking out Social Security taxes, and those people will never be able to collect on the Social Security, so they're paying in a surplus of money for, for nothing. Is that correct? Yes. Hi, Rims. Hi. You're correct. And thank you for calling. You are correct, and we haven't figured out a a solution to that yet, except that um, uh, possibly in the future when that person does get temporary residence or gets permanent residence, that they will be able to collect that money. But I don't think that that's the case right now. We'll have to have someone on Money Talks. I wondered if an undocumented immigrant who has paid into Social Security if they have married a citizen, if the citizen then could draw, the spouse could draw on it. But that's a, that's a different show. That's Money Talks at 9 a.m. on Tuesdays. We'll need to get our Social Security expert in on that one. But some undocumented immigrants do have Social Security numbers, and many undocumented immigrants pay taxes because they can apply for an individual taxpayer ID number, which we call an I-10. And so those people probably will be able to get their uh, money back through the Social Security uh, program. I've had several clients that I've worked with whose parents applied for Social Security numbers when the the uh, individuals were, were young. And so they've had Social Security numbers for a long time. And at that time, it was legal to do it. Um, it's still legal for some people to get Social Security numbers uh, through their parents if they are Mexican natives, even if they're living in Mexico. But uh, recently, somebody told me who just got permanent residence, he said, when I went to apply for my Social Security card, they told me that I already had a number. And he said, how is that possible? And I said, because your parents, his father in that case, who had been a permanent resident, had applied for the Social Security number when he was young. 
and his father is deceased and never told him that he had the Social Security number. So all types of situations uh, come about. Uh, but for the most part, undocumented immigrants may be paying into the system and may never be able to get their money out of the system. All right. It's time for our next break. We're talking with Patricia Ice, Legal Project Director at Mississippi Immigrants Rights Alliance. We're talking about family and humanitarian related immigration laws. So if you have a question about these laws, give us a call. Our number is one 877 MPB ring. That's 1-877-672-7464. You could also send us an email, legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms today. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show three different ways. Inlegalterms.mpbonline.org or you could listen on the MPB Public Media app. That's where all of our local shows are, even some MPB television programs. You could also find our podcast on your podcasting platform that you have on your smart device. I'm Liz Gill. I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. We want to remind everybody, absentee voting began September 23rd, and the deadline to register to vote for the general election is October 7th. So that's Monday. So you need to get in there and register to vote this week if you haven't already registered to vote, because general election day to vote for the individuals who make our laws shape our our legal rights is Tuesday, November 5th. We're talking with Patricia Ice, Legal Project Director at Mississippi Immigrants Rights Alliance, about family and humanitarian-related immigration laws. Professor Gershon, are you still with us? I am, Liz, and this is such a great conversation. I can't believe how fast the hour is going, and we appreciate Patricia Ice and her work. Uh, one question I would have is we, we heard about the ICE raids and, and, uh, in August. What happens next for those families? It's very complicated, and the fallout is probably going to last for years. Um, And I just would like to say that um, I have a client that I'm still working with from the 2008 raid at Howard Industries, and that was 11 years ago. So some of these cases are going to last a long time. But um, it's, it's difficult It's very, very chaotic because the people who were uh, arrested in the raids have been, some of them have been released, but they have immigration hearings that will be set in the future. And 
some of them who have not been released are still um, having court hearings um, right now. And um, it's complicated for the families who are what we call mixed families because some of the families affected were um, families that had undocumented people in them, that had uh, documented people in them, um, either lawful permanent residents or um, people who had temporary statuses like the U, non-immigrant status for victims of crimes. And then some of them had U.S. citizen children. So the United States government cannot deport United States citizens. So the children who are affected, who were, who were born here in the United States, um, one question that I got was, can they stay in school? And yes, they can stay in school. Even undocumented children from K through 12 or in K through 12 can stay in school. Um, but undocumented children can be deported. Um, and the U.S. citizen children whose parents possibly are getting deported uh, do not have to go with their parents, although most parents would want to take their children with them to their home countries. So we've seen a lot of people applying for U.S. passports so that they can uh, take their children back home uh, with them if they have to go. But <clears throat> one thing we have done, we have worked with a, a coalition um, that we call the Mississippi Immigration Raid Coalition. Um, one of the people that we've worked with is attorney Cliff Johnson, who um, Professor Gershon knows at uh, University of Mississippi School of Law. And uh, Cliff Johnson is running our uh, Immigration Coalition bond program. And he has advised me that more, more than 20 people have received bonds and I'm talking about immigration bonds through the bond fund that um, has been raised. And that bond fund, I believe, has more than $300,000 in it. Um, unfortunately, about 100 people have been indicted criminally in the U.S. Federal District Court. Um, dozens of people are facing administrative civil fine charges by ICE. Um, uh, and a finding of civil uh, fine charges could mean that the person could be deported. Um, several people have pled guilty in the district courts in their criminal cases, and others have pled not guilty, have gotten out on a criminal bond, and been turned over to ICE custody. So... These cases um, in the immigration courts can last for, for very short periods of time if a person has relief from removal. And relief just means that a person is allowed to stay here. Or 
if a person wants to apply for asylum, that type of case may take a very long time. Um, but the families are, are really having a lot of difficulty. Um, they're having difficulty paying their bills. They're having difficulty paying their rent. And so Mira has paid rent for a lot of people. Um, we've paid out over $20,000 in rent. Um, fortunately, there has been a huge outpouring of, of help from across the country. People have made a lot of donations of money. People also have made a lot of donations of food, of diapers, of other um, products and um, items that people need. And so Mira has collected a lot of those, and we've sent them to the uh, some of the churches in the area that are helping out. Somebody, I think it was Roger, who asked what he could do to help. Um, several churches are collecting um, money and items, food and other items to distribute. One of those churches is Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Canton, St. Anne's Church in Carthage, Trinity Mission Center in Forest, Immaculate Conception in Laurel, and uh, St. Michael's Church in Morton, among others. Um, those are some of the, the uh, distribution centers that we have worked with. And we've also had legal clinics, uh, intake clinics for um, immigrants who were caught up in the raid. Well, this hour has just flown by. I'm sorry, James, we were not able to get to your call. Uh, Miss Ice, thank you so much for being a guest today. We appreciate you being here on In Legal Terms. Thank you so much for having me this so morning. That's going to wrap us up. So for our call screener, Kevin Farrell, and our board engineer in Jackson, Michelle McAdoo, and for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. Up next is our Tuesday Southern Remedy show, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress. But we hope you'll join us again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. for In Legal Terms. If you haven't already registered to vote, you need to do that this week. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 